The following sermon was delivered on April 25th, 2021 at Antioch Presbyterian Church, a mission work of Calvary Presbytery of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Woodruff, South Carolina. Organizing pastor Dr. Joseph A. Piper Jr. preached this sermon entitled Dealing with the Brethren on 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com or contact us at info at AntiochPCA.com. May the Lord bless you as you receive gracious instruction from His Word. I want you to imagine a scenario, a scene, where you're observing someone in the body of Christ committing a sin in your presence that you think is quite serious. Now, how are you going to deal with that? Well, there's three possible responses. One is, well, after all, the Bible says that love covers a multitude of sin. You cover over it and forget about it. But perhaps you can't do that, so you say, well, I need help. And so you go to one of the elders or the pastor or a very respected godly person in the church, and you say, you know, so-and-so did this, and you need to do something. Or the third is, that we deal with in our text, and that is that you yourself would deliver a proper biblical admonition to that person that you've observed sinning. And that's the theme that is before us tonight in these first two verses of 1 Timothy chapter 5, the work of Christian admonition. We wrapped up two weeks ago, chapter 4. Basically, in chapter 4, the apostle is addressing the minister a young Timothy, and through him, all of us who do minister the gospel. We also saw as we worked our way through that, that whatever he says to them outside of the function of their office are very appropriate for us as well, and also what to expect from the minister of the gospel. He concluded that with that exhortation in verse 16 that the gospel minister or elder must uh, take heed to himself and to his doctrine. He must persevere therein in order to save his own soul from the souls of his hearers. Having laid that very solemn and sober exhortation, in chapter 5, the apostle goes on now to deal with particular issues in the congregation. We read two of them tonight, the matter of our admonitions and the matter of the widow. So here, with respect to the admonition, our text is these first two verses of 1 Timothy 5, do not stop or rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers and the younger women as sisters in all purity. And from these two verses, I want to show you the pastor is to lead the congregation in the work of admonition that is marked by humility, gospel hope, and purity. The pastor is to lead the congregation in the work of admonition that is marked by humility, gospel hope, and purity. We'll consider two things, the duty of Christian admonition in verse 1 and the practice of Christian admonition, the two verses together. Well, first then, the duty of Christian admonition. And what do I mean by admonition? Or what does Paul mean by admonition? He means coming alongside a person and speaking words that are necessary in the moment, either words of encouragement, particularly in this context, words of rebuke calling a brother or a sister to repentance with respect to their particular activity. As we talk about this duty, there are two assumptions here in the first place that I want to bring to your attention. 
And the first assumption is that it is a duty for all of God's children, for everybody in the church. This is a duty that we are to be conscious of and committed to, this duty of Christian admonition. You remember what we just read in Hebrews chapter 3, where we're told there uh, the necessity that we would have to uh, encourage one another to come alongside and speak that appropriate word, obviously here of admonition, uh, because of the deceitfulness of sin, because of the hardness of heart. Later in chapter 10, he picks up a very a similar admonition with respect to our instruction with respect to uh, this work of admonition, where after calling us to draw near with sincere hearts and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, our bodies washed with pure water, verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. How to stimulate, to provoke, to motivate one another to love and good deeds, and then particularly corporate worship, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now you hear this, you might say, well, I'm just really not equipped to do this. Well, you must be equipped to do it. It's part of God's purpose in your life. As Paul will write to the Romans in chapter 15, verse 14, he's praising them where he says then to them, concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you're full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Now we see the qualifications there, to be filled with goodness or real love for the brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. All knowledge that you're properly grounded in the truths of Scripture, but then able to give this admonition. A different word from encourage or exhort, but a word that again points to calling to a person to repent of their behavior, to change their behavior, and to walk in the ways of the Lord. So the very first assumption here is, as Paul addresses Timothy about this matter of admonition, it's in the context, this assumption, that everybody in the body of Christ has this responsibility. Every one of you here tonight who names the name of Christ, he says, I'm a disciple of Christ. Each of you is a member of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ has this responsibility. I want that pressed upon your conscience. It is a duty that God assumes that all in the body of Christ, when called upon, will be able to exercise. It also speaks to you of the importance of being equipped to do so, of not drawn into your own little world and not being content with where you are biblically and, and your grasp of truth, but constantly growing in godliness and your grasp of truth so that you can do this service, very important service, in the body of Christ. But the second assumption about the duty is we must be able to receive admonition as well. That is, for many of us, the harder part. But now we just read in Hebrews 3 that the heart's deceitful. You're well aware of that, aren't you, of your own deceitfulness? We all have our blinders. One of the reasons God gives us husbands and wives to help us see past those blinders. Hard sometimes, but uh, that's part of this marriage covenant that God has given to us, as well as in the, the broader body. We all 
will be blind to certain sins and patterns in our life. Because sin is deceitful. Because we have inherited not just a corruption of heart and original sin, but we've all been raised in an environment, many of us not raised in a Christian environment. I only lived with my father up until middle school. But it, um, for many years afterwards, I could see his patterns in my life. I lived with my mother a bit longer, but I could see her patterns in my life. You live in that. It's the air that you breathe. And then you're not even aware of it. One time we were at a marriage seminar that uh, John Bettler was doing. And it was <laughs> very interesting because he was making this point that you can know something rationally. And I try to help young people see this. You can rationally reject what your mother or your father did and do it yourself and not realize it. So he, this was his own confession. He had a problem with his father because his father would go to a, a social engagement or a party and within five minutes was looking for a way to leave. Now he hated that. And he and his wife were at a social engagement and he was looking in five minutes how to leave. And she brought it to his attention. He was blind to it. And we all have those things. We're not islands. That's why God put us in families, in covenant households, but it's also why God's put us in churches that we might be dealt with. And so, just as it's important to be able to give the admonition, it's important to be able to receive it. And those very frightening words, a friend of mine just brought these to my attention about a mutual friend of ours who just renounced jurisdiction, well, now a year ago, of Presbytery. A man who hardens his neck after much reproof will suddenly be broken beyond remedy. Why the Hebrews warns against hardening the heart and unbelief. Here is the warning what happens to someone if you're unwilling to receive the admonition. To humble yourself, to search your life by Scripture. God will eventually. Now, and if not now, even more frighteningly, in eternity, will break you. So the two assumptions. You must be willing to see a duty as a Christian to give admonition. You must be equally willing to receive admonition. And then the commandment. Now the commandment's given to the pastor. And so Paul speaks to Timothy and he tells him that he is also to properly appeal. The word appeal there is our word to exhort, to encourage, to appeal to older men as father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Here we see this, particularly then the responsibility of the elder, the teaching elder, and the ruling elder to be able to give admonition in the body of Christ. Remember what Paul says to Titus as he lays out the qualifications with respect to office. And he says that they, you must be able to uh, admonish. Uh, verse 13, for this reason, reprove them severely so they may be sound in faith, not paying attention to uh, Jewish myths. Or earlier, holding fast, verse 9, the faithful word in accordance with the teaching, so that he'll be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict it. It is a duty. It's a duty in preaching. I think today that one of the greatest faults in Reformed preaching is the lack of application, or at least of direct probing application. 
we often quote first second Timothy chapter three that all scripture is inspired by God is profitable for doctrine, that's positive instruction, reproof, that's what the old writers call dehortation with what you think, for instruction, positive and for discipline. Or as Paul will write in 2 Timothy chapter 4 with respect to preaching. Verse 2, preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. It is a duty of the pulpit. And so often the pulpit is silent today with respect to this duty of application. But it's also the duty of pastoral care. And the elder in particular as Paul says to Titus, must be one who is able and willing to come alongside and to go in the home on a pastoral visit and to, again, speak that admonition when it is necessary. And so what we see briefly is that this is the duty of Christian admonition. But where Paul is particularly helpful here is he gets into the practice of the duty of this Christian admonition. Now I want to note three things from our text. It is to be done in humility, evangelically, and chastely. First, it's to be done in humility. You notice what Paul says, do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father. And the word older man here is the same word used for elder, but in this context, as he talks about young men, older women, and younger women, he's clearly now talking about a man who is chronologically older than Timothy is. And he says that he is to approach him humbly as a father. And he says, you then don't harshly rebuke him, but he uses the milder form when he says that you are to encourage or to exhort him. And we see this basically with all of these categories. We're going to look at two ways at family categories. But the first way, he says, you simply, you're not in there lording it over God's people. You are a fellow traveler. You are a servant. Peter puts it well in 1 Peter chapter 5. I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge. They're proving to be examples to the flock. When the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. Not lording it over the flock. Not saying, I'm the minister. You must listen to what I have to say. No, it's to be done gently and, and patiently and, and in humility. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul gives some very wise instruction with respect to this. He says in verse 23, Refuse foolish, ignorant speculations, knowing they produce quarrels. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, 
having been held captive by him to do his will. Able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. Even as he, I cut off the verse, but the, the exhortation about preaching, reprove, you exhort with great patience and instruction. So in the pulpit, our application, yes, is to be direct, is to be probing, uh, but it's never to be beating over the head. It's never taken out one's anger. I think that one of the things I'm most ashamed of is that we had a very difficult piano player in our early church in the early days in Texas and, and I mean, in Mississippi. And just one day, I know I vented on her in the pulpit. And to this day, I'm ashamed of that. Took advantage of the pulpit to lash out at her because of her behavior. See, we cannot do that. It's not our bully pulpit. The pulpit of the Lord Jesus Christ. And thus, we are to treat it as such. So we must rebuke, we must admonish, we must bring application. But we're not beating people over the head. We do it with patience. We recognize that people don't change overnight. Think how long it took you to come to some convictions like the Sabbath. Or the Reformed faith. Did it happen immediately when you first heard these doctrines? Um, Kirk was sharing us this afternoon that the first time his father read Pink Sovereignty of God, he threw it across the room three times before he got to the end. When he got to the end, he was a Calvinist. But it took a bit. It took a bit. And that's why Paul says to do this with, with patience, with humility, with gentleness. And that's the same then as we deal with each other. We are brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. We are fellow travelers. We're not superior. We help. There's men marching in a, in a battle line back from battle and there's the wounded and the stronger will have their arm around them and, and help them. Or pilgrims on this pilgrimage and we are on this pilgrimage and we must put our arms around one another and patiently bear with one another. Even when we give admonition. It's to be done with humility, with, with gentleness and with patience. Now second is to be done, I'm saying evangelically or as in the proposition sentence, uh, with gospel hope. We also see this in the language when he says that we are to deal with uh, men as fathers and brothers and mothers and sisters. Yes, he's talking about how we would deal with one another, but he's using these family relationships. It takes us back to what the Savior said when he was told that your, your mother and your brothers are outside the door wanting to see you. And remember what he asked? Who are my mother? Who are my brothers? Those who do the will of my Father. This is why we began with the doctrine of adoption. You see, we are the body of Christ. We are the family of Christ. We've been adopted by God and we're brought then into this communion with the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in this communion with Christ that we have this evangelical responsibility. So in our confession of faith, Communion of saints, chapter 26. All saints that are united in Jesus Christ, their head by His Spirit and by faith, have fellowship with Him and His graces, sufferings, death, resurrection, and glory. And being united to one another in love, they have communion in each other's gifts and graces and are obliged to the performance of such duties, public and private, as do conduce to their mutual good both in the inward and the outward man. 
Saints by profession are bound to maintain a holy fellowship and communion in the worship of God and in performing such spiritual services that tend to their mutual edification. I've already shown you this is a duty for each one of us. It's part of being in the body of Christ that we then have this responsibility as brothers and sisters adopted by God into the family of God to deal with others evangelically. Well, there's at least three things that I would suggest come out of this. And the first is it must be in the basis of Christ's word. Our, our problem with the brothers and sisters cannot be because they've broken one of our laws or some cultural moray. No, our rebukes must be administered according to the law of God. There is the mind of God. We're not the lords of people's consciences, but we are to minister Scripture. And so whatever standard we have when we come to one another, it must be on the basis of Christ's word. Second, it must be on the basis of uh, union with Christ. We've talked about this communion that we have with God. When we come to brothers and sisters, uh, we come to them then with this awareness that we are coming to one who is a fellow heir in Christ and that Christ is indwelling them. And thus we can... We can bring our admonition to them in terms of what I'm calling now this, this uh, gospel hope. That it's because they're in Christ that we would treat with them. Because you're in Christ that you will listen to what your brother or sister has to say uh, to you. So it is this union with Christ that comes out of communion. And then this final is it's in Christ, it must then be with this gospel hope. That includes two things. In the first place, we come to them wanting to bring them to repentance and confession of faith with the glorious promise that God forgives every one of us regardless of what we've done. We come to Him in Christ, confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. We pray the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are our debtors who've sinned against us. That's the mark, isn't it, of truly knowing that you've been pardoned from your sins. And so the gospel hope of pardon. But because we're in union with Christ, this evangelical means of coming to person also with the gospel hope of change. We're not coming to beat somebody up. The real purpose and admonition is, yes, to bring them to repentance and confession so that they will then seek God's grace and grow and be different. And we believe in the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit to transform us. So we do so with humility, with gentleness. We do so with this evangelically, with gospel hope. And in the third place, we do so with a purity, with a chastity. And so Paul says, he concludes this, that younger women as sisters in all purity. Now grammatically, you could take the in all purity with all four of the relationships. But where it falls particularly in this list, and because of the problems that are besetting a man of God, particularly with younger women in the congregation, I believe this impurity speaks directly to us of how we then must minister to admonition, rebuke, and counseling uh, to women in the congregation. It's to be done with all chastity. We're to treat them, as he says, as sisters, as daughters in my case, 
uh, daughters. You're all daughters. Uh, and that is to be uh, the mark. This is why when elders will go to visit a single mother or a single lady, you don't go alone. You always take an elder or a deacon or an intern with you. You're doing counseling. You also do a place where there is open accountability. But we all know the horror stories. Time and time and time again, as men and elders and pastors are falling into these sins. And we must seek God's grace as we pastor, and particularly as we bring admonition. And you know, I, I, I've discovered this, that sometimes in the admonition, the very sin can become attractive. And then becomes a temptation. So Paul says you must deal with these women as, as sisters, as, as daughters in Christ. And I found it to be very useful then, even as I'm tempted to look at a woman the wrong way, first off, to remind myself that she's a sister, a mother in Christ. Second, to pray for her. That if she's married, that God blesses her marriage relationship. If she has children, God blesses her children relationship. If she's not in Christ, that Christ will save her. And look at her then with a proper kind of affection. So Paul gives these three very practical uh, marks for how we are to practice this duty of admonition. The pastor is to lead the congregation in the work of admonition done in humility, gospel hope, and purity or chastity. Let's go back to our open scenario now and apply what we have here. So, and we wrestle with this. Love covers a multitude of sins. And it should. That uh, so often the things that take place are fairly minor. We can make excuses for the person. We cover over what's happened. We say, well, they could have had a bad day or, or whatever. And they didn't mean that. Or they didn't mean to insult me. Or, you know, I, I just know that right now is a hard time in their life. And love covers over that. And that means you forget about it. But if it is a repetitive action, even if it is minor, or it is a more serious action, then love cannot cover over it. You're not doing the person a favor if it's a habitual pattern of angry speech or impatience, and it goes on and on and on to cover over it. So that leads us to the second thing, the things you cannot cover over. How do you deal with them? Well, so often, People in the congregation go to an elder or a pastor or a mature Christian and say, Jane did this. What should I do about it? You recognize that that is a form of gossip. You've gone to a person who really is not part of the solution at this point. Now, let's back up a step. All gossip with regard to these activities is heinous sin. It's horrendous. To go tell someone else, even if it was true. You know what Jane did? I saw her with my own eyes. You know where Bill was last night? I saw him as I was driving by. No, that's gossip. That's slander. That is so evil. I just, I was listening to the Aeneid and the, the goddess rumor. You should go back and read it. Uh, it's, it's the most amazing insight into rumor and gossip uh, that when a need is on the, uh, down at Carthage and rumor begins to fly around. That's a very keen insight. But you see, it's really gossip. If you come to me as the pastor, you go to the ruling elder, 
Well, you go back to Jane. Oh, I don't want to do that. Well, I can't go to Jane. I didn't see it. You see what's wrong with that? If you have a duty of admonition, and even though it's difficult, if you really think that Jane sinned or Phil sinned in a serious way, then it's your duty first. We're not talking about a public scandalous activity. But it's your duty first to go to them. Come to me. All I can say is you've got to go back to her. You've got to go back to him. And if you don't, I'm going to go to them and say, you told me this. Your name's not going to be out of it. Okay? Now, there are two things that one can do in coming to an elder. And one is, don't mention names, but say, Pastor, if so-and-so did such-and-such, is that a serious sin? Is that something that needs to be dealt with? And how would you deal with it? And then you've not implicated anybody. You've not gossiped to the pastor. And he can give you that wise wisdom then on how to go back and do your Christian duty. Or it could be that you took the first step and you got rebuffed. Now in that rebuffing, you now are free to go to the pastor elder and say, Pastor so-and-so did this. I've gone to them and they've not taken it well. Or it might be that, and I've actually had this in our own congregation, I did this and I'm not sure I handled it well and I think they're upset with me. Well, see, then it's the same with what we, the difference between gossip and help is if, if somebody can be part of the, of the solution, it's one thing to say something to them. But not this blind, I'm not going to say anything, but you need to. But for help, either how to deal with the situation or if it has not gone well, now you need help and you can mention that by name. So it leads us then to what we've been talking about, and that is this need then to give this admonition to one another. To do so gently, with patience. To come alongside and say, you know, I'm, I'm a sinner. And I know I do many things that are wrong. And I even could misunderstand what I think I've seen or heard. But it seems to me that you did such and such and that was the sin. So you come along patiently and gently. You wait patiently for the person. You give them time. They're not going to repent immediately. You always repent immediately when you have a problem with your husband or your wife. Uh, I hope so, but um, you might have to go think about it for a bit first. Um, so you're patient, you're gentle, and you're humble with them. Now, in receiving admonition, the very first thing you do is to listen. Listen. Keep your mouth shut. That's another Proverbs theme. Keep your mouth shut and listen prayerfully. If you see immediately the, the verity, the truth of what they're saying, then you immediately repent and ask forgiveness. And, and it might even be something you say, I'm going to need help. I'm going to have to get counsel or whatever. If you don't see it, don't push back right then, but simply let me pray about it. I don't see it, but let me, let me pray about it. Maybe even I'll, then I'll go to the pastor about myself and, and talk about it. Um, but that's how we're going to deal with these things. So now, as we are beginning to grow together as a congregation, two very little practical things. In the first place, we don't want to be a congregation of gossips, okay? That's the only alternative. Well, either we get embittered, or we gossip, or we will exercise Christian admonition, gently and humbly and patiently. 
covering over a lot of sin because we're all weak and sinners. And I recognize that so many of the things that happened that upset you for a moment really weren't intended. It's not a pattern of behavior. But we must develop this family attitude of a good, not a dysfunctional family, but a good family in the body of Christ. Now second, perhaps you don't understand this. Uh, I, nor any man in this church, nor Zach, will automatically become elders in this church. There will come a point when the church organizes that you then, the congregation, and others that God adds to us, will have that responsibility to call and elect men as pastors and elders. So check this off right now in your book. You don't want a man who's proud. A man who lords it over the congregation. A man who himself cannot humble himself under admonition and rebuke. Nothing shall be forced on you. No one has a right to be your pastor until the Spirit moves in your heart that, yes, we want Piper to be our pastor. Okay. But you examine Piper very carefully. Roth very carefully. Any man that would be an elder here or a deacon, very carefully. And that is how we preserve the glorious unity, the communion of the body of Christ. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Antioch Presbyterian Church. We are located in the historic Cashville community of Woodruff, South Carolina, near the intersection of South Carolina Highways 101 and 417. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com.